When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. How about them Hokies? Virginia Tech rocked Pitt in front of a sold-out crowd on Saturday night, scoring their highest point total under Brent Pry in a 38-21 win. Are the Hokies back on track? Does this win show signs that the season can be turned around? What changed within the offense to be so darn effective? We'll discuss all that and more on a beautiful Monday morning in Blacksburg. It's episode 316 of the Tech Sideline podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in once again, Hokie Nation. We record on Monday, October 2nd, 2023 from our Tech Sideline studio in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Go ahead and refer a friend to the show as well. Let's go ahead and introduce our football crew as always. To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Across the way, senior staff writer Andy Bitter. In the fourth chair, managing editor David Cunningham. Producing behind the scenes, it's the mustached man, Mr. Nick Brown. And of course, I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Check out their new Checking with Perks account that comes with cell phone protection, roadside assistance, fuel savings, deals and discounts, and so much more. Visit firstbank.com to learn more about this great new account for students. All right, gentlemen, I'll start with one question here. Very, very simple. Here we go. How about them Hokies on Saturday, huh? I think that was a much-needed shot in the arm for everybody, for the fan base, for the players, for the coaches, everything. Um, you don't want to start – you don't want to be one and four going into Florida State, obviously. But, you know, I think the main thing is, like, the fans – needed a confidence boost in the football team and in the coaches and and especially at home like that playing in such a great atmosphere it would have been you know just another kick to the teeth so to speak if you'd lost that game so so yeah I mean I, I think everybody woke up on Sunday feeling uh feeling a lot better about the situation uh hopefully it's something that is sustainable I think if they continue to run that offensive system it is sustainable um, uh, they can't revert to what they were doing before. But the, the main thing is, like, just from a morale perspective, I, I thought it was it was very big to get that win. Yeah, you could sort of feel the season slipping away if they couldn't get a win in that one, especially knowing what's coming up next week and uh, perhaps a likely result going down to Tallahassee. But you look at the, the previous three games, they were in that Purdue game, had a chance to win it, probably could have, did not win that one. Went after Rutgers. Less of a chance to win that one. It did get close there for a while. They had that two-point conversion to get within, I think, three or something. I forget exactly what the score was. They were within a score there, got away from them in the fourth quarter. Marshall played really well, running the ball, 
got behind, had a chance there at the end to tie it up. So they had some performances that maybe weren't indicative of what their record was. So to get a win like this and sort of get the reward for the work that they're putting in, I think I think that's a real boost for a team that, you know, you, you put the work in all week, you don't get the results, it can be very demoralizing. To get a result like that, I think it reinforces what the coaching staff is telling this team. Let's start with talking about this quarterback. Kyron Drones went 12 and 19 for 228 yards and three touchdowns through the air while amassing 41 yards on 21 carries for two scores on the ground as well. On Saturday night, he became the first and only quarterback in the ACC to account for five total touchdowns in a game this season. How about KD1 on Saturday? I think uh, it's like Andy said last week when people asked, what's the ideal offense to run with Kyron Drones? And, and Andy said something similar to the 2019 Hendon Hooker offense. And that's exactly what we got. I, I think they put him in the bright position to succeed. I mean, going out there and, and dropping him back in the pocket and throwing it 35 times against Marshall, that's that's not going to work. That's not who he is as a quarterback. His this, In 2019, in Hooker's first start, it was a run-heavy game plan, lots of moving parts. They only asked him to throw it 20 times. This game, run-heavy offense, lots of moving parts. They only asked Drones to throw it 19 times. Uh, it's like they finally figured out his strengths and weaknesses, and they built the offense around it. And uh, I, I think it's amazing how much better players can look when the coaches put them in a position to succeed. Uh, I'll always draw on the Maurice DeShazo. Uh, I know some people watching this aren't old enough to know who Maurice DeShazo is, yourself included, Gio. He was Virginia Tech's starting quarterback in 1993 and 1994. As a junior in 93, in a run-and-shoot style offense with lots of motions, rollouts, heavy run game, things like that, 22 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 9 yards per attempt, the third-best quarterback rating in the country. Then as a senior, Tech changes offensive coordinators. They go to a pro-style offense. He drops to 7.2 yards per attempt, 13 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Quarterback rating dropped by over 30 points as a senior. Different system, right? They were asking Kyron Drones to do Maurice DeShazo stuff like 1994 in previous weeks, and he didn't play very well, as you would expect. Yes, uh, Saturday, they asked him to do Maurice DeShazo stuff from 1993, and it worked better. I mean, you have to design an offense that fits your quarterback's strengths and weaknesses. They finally did it. And everybody says, been saying, oh, Tech doesn't have any talent, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's amazing how much more talented the players look when they're put in a position to succeed. And I think they ran the ideal offense for Virginia Tech football the other night, and bam, they got a result. Yeah, drones, very impressive. Five touchdowns accounted for. We, we went back during the game looking for previous quarterbacks who had done that. Josh Jackson was the last quarterback did, to do it against ECU, just dreadful ECU team <laughs> in 2017. I mean, that was Chris could have thrown for five touchdowns yeah. against that team, I think. Before that, Gerard Evans did it once. Logan Thomas did it. Brian Randall did it. Michael Vick. Wow. Mm. Those are some names now. <laughs> Those are not nobodies. Don't forget uh, Lee Suggs. Lee Suggs. Lee Suggs. I, mean, I was just talking about quarterback. Lee Suggs, uh, touchdown machine, obviously. He had a huge game like that. So, amazingly, Tyrod never did it in his time. That's wow. kind of hard to believe. Five touchdowns, but uh, it, you know the great career that he had. But you look back, and those are some impressive names on that list. So it's not just you know nobodies that do that. Very rarely flash in the pan. You know, Josh Jackson didn't have the career that, that panned out the way it here with the, the injury and then transferring. And again, that ECU team was so bad <laughs> on defense. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to go out there and do that, 
I thought it was pretty impressive. And it, yeah, I feel like, and I go back, I wrote that feature story on him and I talked to his dad and he said, you know, he needed to get reps, like game reps. There's only so much more he could improve by watching or by, you know, I think when I interviewed Kyron, when he transferred here, he said, I, there's only so much I can learn by watching other people's mistakes. I need to be out there making my own mistakes and learning how to play. And you're seeing that now. He seems to be getting better with every single rep and the comfort that he gains in the offense. Uh, so to go out there and have that performance, I, I thought it was very impressive. And I think it's just been this steady progression that he's had the last couple of weeks. And I think it's the fact that it came against Pitt is another one. Like Pitt is a historically good defensive program under Pat Narduzzi. I wouldn't say that like this is one of his most talented defensive teams, but they've still been pretty good defensively this year. So, uh, you know, I think that that's a good sign. I also find it kind of weird that like if you had told me that Tyrell Bowen's best two games as Virginia Tech's offensive coordinator – would be against Pitt. Both times, yeah. Yeah. Two of the three times they've gotten 400 yards right. been against Pitt, and the other was against Wofford. Right, right. Never would have guessed that. Kyron Drones talked a lot about his confidence after the game when they had him on the ACC Network set, which was really cool, by the way. They had Coach Pry on there for about a 10-minute segment after the game as well, and there was just a lot of good stuff, a lot of funny moments as well. So if you get a chance, uh, be sure to go and check that out. It's all on the Hokie Sports YouTube. Uh, but how big can a game like that be for the trajectory of a young quarterback? You know, we're looking at a guy that, in all likelihood, is Virginia Tech's quarterback of the future. It's it's confidence. It it has to be confidence uh, because if you if you don't make that switch, and he's getting better himself too. I think his decision making was better, um, but I think it helps when you like. He's not a, an experienced passer, right? So you're going to make more mistakes the more you're asked to throw the football and get a strong running game. And then he only throws it 19 times. I mean, that, that, I think that maximizes your chance of success. I thought it was a great game plan and, and that's the right game plan you build around him. And I thought that was like one of the most physically toughest performance you'll see, you've seen from a tech quarterback. I mean, you get to that end of the game and uh, the pit defenders didn't look like they were too interested in tackling him or tooting for that matter. No, in, in drones is a big guy. He's mm -hmm. a tough guy to bring down uh, with his throwing. I, th I just thought he looked very comfortable and confident out there. That, I mean, they, they started off with that deep ball to Daquan Felton. It almost was exactly like the Rutgers game on the other sideline, except Felton reeled it in this time. But, I mean, he dropped that in there perfectly yeah, on the yeah. run. You could not throw that ball better. That touchdown he had to Jalen Lane, uh, you know, Pitt brings two blitzers out the corner. Mm. So he's standing in there. He knows those guys are coming. He's probably going to get hit at the end of that. He delivers a, a perfect pass to Lane. And then I don't know what was going on with the coverage, but Lane turned around and there's 50 yards of open field <laughs> in front of him. I think uh, even Jalen was kind of surprised uh, that he was that open. So I just, you know, I, I thought, you know, drones made some throws in that game that were very impressive, stood in the pocket. You know, that's a fearsome pass rush. You know, Pitt still got after the quarterback in that game. They still played in the backfield a lot on a lot of runs, 12, 12 tackles for a loss in that game. So that was an aggressive defensive line. It's not like he sat back there and just had this clean pocket <laughs> the entire game. So to have the passing stats that he had, I think it was 12 yards per attempt. Uh, last time Virginia Tech had a, a passing performance like that was in that Duke game, the last one that Fuente coached, where they just they rolled all over Duke and everything they were doing offensively was working because Duke was just so bad defensively in that game. So it's been a while since they've had a, a game like that. I think the time before that it was Hendon Hooker against Louisville 
in the COVID year mm -hmm. where he was like 10 for 10 yeah. passing or something yeah. like that yeah. in that game. So it doesn't happen often. You, you get yards per attempt like that and uh, just a very impressive showing all around. It, it, I mean, he's he's the quarterback now. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you can dispense with this two-quarterback nonsense. You can't uh, go away from this system. No way. You can't. And, I mean, even when Grant Wells is healthy, I don't think he's completely healthy yet. I think you just have to – I mean, he's a team captain. He's a guy who's been the quarterback. He lost his job because he got injured. But I think that's one of those hard conversations you have to yeah. have as a coach. It's like, the, this is the offense we're running now. This is the direction we're going. This is the quarterback drones. Uh, There's the, the future of this program. And, and currently he's playing great in the present. So you got to roll with that hot hand and keep going with my, it. My favorite uh, play of the game, and you mentioned it was the, the pass play to Lane. And this wasn't obvious, like watching the game when it happened. But when I watched the condensed version yesterday, I, I watching it in real time, I thought it was just a slant pattern. And it wasn't. It was like a sit down route. And Lane recognized that the linebackers were about to over-pursue to that side of the field. So he just drifted to the inside, found the open spot in the zone, and Jerome's did a really good job, good job of anticipating him being there. It's like those two guys were right on the same page. So that was probably my favorite favorite play of the game. Now there were a lot of a lot of candidates there, obviously. Uh, yeah. A lot more than usual, but that one was probably a lot of highlights to choose from this yeah. time. I uh, I liked uh, the flea flicker that almost connected. I think uh, Drones yeah. just overthrew him a little yeah. bit, but Quan almost had another forty plus yard. I, I forgot to mention that one in my article yesterday. I went over yesterday the types of plays that that Virginia Tech ran that they had not run this year. So you had the quick toss sweep, then you had the fake quick toss sweep with Drones running it in the opposite direction. You had triple option. You had the the smoke and mirrors passing play to Daquan Wright, which was very reminiscent of the Dalton Keene, James Mitchell catches in the old Hendon Hooker. That offense. always worked, by yeah, the way. Right. It was, it was, always, always worked. It was yeah, always yeah, open. It was incredible. Um, they, the Turner Bradshaw reverse. Yeah, I loved that. It was David Wilson-esque where it's like, this is yeah. going to lose 20. This is going to right. run a touchdown. And then it finishes with like three yards. It's like, <laughs> okay, nice game. Exactly. So like <laughs> three carries by the wide receivers. Um, uh, flea flicker. Uh, trying to think if there's anything else, but you get my point. There was just more, more of a variety of stuff that Pitt had to defend. So all you have to do is like slow down the, the defense's reads for just a split second. And it gives your offensive players a better chance to succeed. And I, I felt like, I felt like that was the first time in the last two seasons that I felt like Virginia Tech went out there offensively and outcoached the opposition. I think they flat out out coached Pitt the other night. And I don't think they did that in any of the previous 15 games. So definitely a step in the right direction. Now let's keep running that offense and let's not revert back to the Marshall offense where you, you ask the quarterback to throw it that many times. That That's not that's not the right offense for Virginia Tech. Chris, yeah. oh, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, credit to, I mean, we, we rag on him a lot, yeah, Tyler Bell and the play calling, but I thought that was his best game no since question. he's been here yeah. in, in terms of the game plan and like he's still not working with a ready-made offensive line so mm -hmm. they're still moving the pocket they're still doing misdirection and screens going mm -hmm. this way and that way and uh they got a little bit more outside runs and Pry said it afterwards he's like we're not a team that can just line up and go inside zone <laughs> just like that's how we beat you that's not going to be it so you have to game plan around that I you know like I said Pitt's still got a lot of tackles for loss still got in the backfield quite a bit but that's the offensive line you're working with mm -hmm. you can't call plays with the offensive line you hope you have one day you have to deal with the one that you have <laughs> and he did a good job with that and moving drones around getting them out of the pocket and different kind of runs and eye candy and stuff that they have to be aware of i think it really worked uh, very well in this he, game he had so many similar comments last year pride did when he talked about 
the offense being too easy to draw a beat on and they can't just line up and do whatever they Vanilla. want and, and run play action and things like that. So he keeps saying all this stuff and all this stuff, but then nothing ever changes. And then it finally changed. So I'd, 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 I'm really curious to know what finally flipped the script this week, so to speak. Like, why did they finally realize, why was it, the, what was so specific about this week when they said, you know, we should probably do this with the offense. And and the only time we saw heavy doses of misdirection in the offense in the past was the was NC State last year in that third quarter when they scored 21 points and had 200 yards of offense. And it just like, then it just stopped. Clearly, they were saving this all for conference play. Yes. They didn't want to give any of it away in the non-conference. Tied for first place in the <laughs> I right. saw somebody put that on the, on the boards. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, I would suspect uh-huh. the whole thing. But uh, no, I don't think they saved this for conference <laughs> no. play. Well, I know Andy's newer to this show. Um, Chris, it's almost as if you've done 316 of these things because I had literally mapped out in questions. was going to ask about the pre-snap eye candy. You guys already hit on that. Uh-huh. was going to mention the fact that Brent Pry said that he thought Tyler Bowen called a great game offense. Mm-hmm. was going to ask you guys about that, and you nailed that. So he I'll said br- it a couple times, yeah, too. He, he did. wanted to get he that did. point across yeah. in the yeah. post game. Yeah. And as, as you should, right? Sure. Right. I mean, listen. Those are the Pry- guys getting ragged on, right? Pry- right. Well, Pry has been – he never mentions by Bowen by name unless he's complimenting him, of course. But uh, he's been very critical of the – very pointed with a lot of his comments about the offense dating back to the middle of last season, saying they're too easy to draw a beat on. Vanilla, you've never called a head coach – You've no, I've never heard a head coach call his offensive coordinator's offense vanilla before. Unless it was a spring game. So, something, exactly. <laughs> Unless he's saying, yeah, that was the plan, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think Prize kind of handled the situation similarly. Like, you criticize when you feel like it's warranted, not as heavy-handed, so to speak, as, as we do, because that's his offensive coordinator. But then when he felt like there was heavy praise, he praised him heavily as he should because I thought it was I thought it was a great plan. It's not one thing I, I would change about that game. I don't think Prize oblivious that you know Bowen was feeling some heat. Yeah. Like this this last podcast. Not I'm saying they're listening to our podcast, but this last podcast we talked about like the whole time. Like, <laughs> do they need to make a change right. <laughs> at the end of the season? Like I, you know, I tweet stuff and then people will like tag Coach Pride. It'd be it'd be like the game time for next week, and they'll be like at Coach Pry. Why haven't you fired Tyler Bowen yet? I'm like, okay, they they see some of this stuff. This yeah. leaks into their consciousness uh, over time. So, I mean, he's, he's aware of this. And, you know, I, I think when a coach does well, you give him a pick-me-up like that. You give him the, the dap that he needs after the game. Absolutely. And if probably was feeling it from, like, higher circles and then just social media, too. I, I heard that last week, post-Marshall, was not a good week for the Hokie Club as far as donors calling in and, and saying, Oh, I'm sure. Shocking. You know, I'm yeah, sure. as far as, like, you know that meeting we were going to have this week? Not going. Need need to see some results before we have that conversation. And so, yeah, I mean, there was pressure from there. I mean, people think, I think the first thing people look at is social media, but most people who tweet don't donate. I mean, seriously. But where the if the, you were a wit and said that, people would be going nuts about that. Absolutely but. right. Um, I mean, obviously, there's exceptions, but I think for the vast majority, it's true. And it's certainly not in the vast amount of money that the people who are calling the Hokie Club they're going to be listened to as opposed to the people on, on social media. But those people were not happy either. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do feel like there was a greater sense of desperation this week, both from the players and the coaches. I thought the players had an extra – thought they were just more less passive, um, more aggressive, more physical. 
Uh, you, you always look more physical as a football player when you know what to do and you're playing with confidence. So I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to know if they did anything differently this week in practice, like besides the scheme, because there did seem to be a different mentality out there. We're going to head to David in the fourth chair in just a sec. You guys seen that Kevin James meme out there? Um, How going around Twitter. How could you miss it? <laughs> that, was, that was totally Tyler Bowen. Like, who said I'm on the hot seat? <laughs> Somebody... Uh, it was I forget which game it was. Somebody's doing a field goal attempt, and they like put that on the scoreboard behind it. Was it Maryland? Who did that? that was, uh, I don't know if they missed the field goal, but it was uh, it was pretty good. To, Nick said uh, they did. Nick says they missed the field goal. There. Well, the backup uh, just to defend with some evidence uh, our stance on Tyler Bowen calling a great game. It's hard to deny it. Four hundred and twenty-seven yards of total offense, thirty-eight points scored, all of which were offensive. Twenty-five first down to Pitt's nine first downs, nearly thirty-eight minutes in time of possession. David, you got something for us in the fourth chair? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from this game from Tyler Bowen was how he stuck with the stuff that worked. Virginia Tech ran the ball thirty times in the first half. Tech ran it thirty times against Marshall in the entire game, and it wasn't like Tech averaged a lot. Tech averaged three point four yards per carry, but. Tyler Bowen ran the ball, got them to run the ball 59 times. Sure, sacks are included in there, obviously. But Bashal Tootin had over 100 yards. Kyron Drones moved the ball. And I think when you, and then when you complement that with the passing game, I was just looking, Kyron Drones had 12 completions. Eight of them were for more than 10 yards. But the other four were for six yards, seven yards, seven yards, and eight yards. I thought Bowen, like you said, Chris, you when you have to create an offense that fits your quarterback. And this was the first time, I think, in Tyler Bowen's tenure, we saw an offense that fit the quarterback that was back there. But I, I think at some times in the past, like last year with, with Grant Wells, like we saw that NC State game, stuff worked well. But I think some concepts just weren't necessarily tailored to Grant Wells' strengths. And I, you know, a little bit square peg, round hole kind of thing. And I thought this game, everything kind of came together. I have the same question as you, why? Yeah. But, like, it just, maybe it's something about Pitt. Um, Just the way Pitt lines up and plays defense that allowed for that. Um, But my biggest takeaway was that, Tech stuck with the stuff that worked. And it wasn't one of those games where, like, I think you go back to the Marshall game, you know, Price said the message at halftime in the locker room was we have to run the ball more. And then Tech came out, tried to run it, didn't work, so they went away from it. And this was like, it didn't matter. You know, it felt like it didn't matter. They were going to stick with the game plan. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, you mentioned how many times they carried the ball. They gave it to Tootin a lot. That was, I mean, he had what, like 25? Yeah, 20, he had 24 carries for 109 yards. And I think he Marshall, also caught four passes for 37 yards in a touch. And Marshall, he had nine carries and he was averaging like 8.8 yards per carry. So they went to him a lot more. And they, like David said, they stuck with it on the ground. It wasn't always just, you know, wide open lanes. But then you look at, uh, you know, what that does time of possession, nearly 38 minutes they had the ball. Uh, you get to the fourth quarter. I think they had 82 rushing yards in the fourth quarter, something like they that. They had that eight minute, 54 second. Yeah, drive. they really just started wearing wearing them down. And, you know, that's what happens when you run the ball that much and you pick your spots in the passing game. I think that's what they want this offense to be. 
I mean, that's yeah, Brent Pry. We've asked him a lot over the two years, and this was the lead of my story on Saturday. It's like, what do you want this offense to be? And he he always explained it. It was kind of this circular way of describing it. For now on, he gets to be like the pit game. That's right. what I want it to be like. Is in the pit game that I want us to run the ball. I want us to be committed to running the ball. I want us to be explosive in the air, uh, dual threat quarterback. I think Tyler Bowen calls a better game for a dual threat quarterback. Uh, I just think like you know if if that's the the archetype of the offense. That's it. The pit game. Just point to it. Hold hold up a picture that has the pit score on it every time we ask that question in the future. Tootin had forced 10 missed tackles against Pitt. So he forced more missed tackles against Pitt than he had carries against Marshall. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's it's like it'd be like a basketball coach at the end of the game and, and your your leading scorer only had five field goal attempts. That's the number one question it's you like asked. He was four for four on three pointers. It's like, well, why didn't he take like 23 pointers if that was <laughs> right. the case? Yeah. Well, uh, 59 rushing attempts, like David had mentioned on Saturday, that was the most in regulation since the Hokies played ECU back in 2017. 199 yards on the ground as a team. So, my question to you guys, and, and maybe you don't necessarily have an answer, okay, what changed because this is a team that ran the ball for what, 11 yards against Purdue? There's just a wider variety of play calls. Everything was so targeted before. And that's what Brent Pry meant last year when he said, we're easy to draw a beat on. We weren't doing, Tech wasn't doing anything to, or they weren't doing very much to break up linebackers and safeties and ends, key reads. You know, when you know the ball's not going outside the tackle box very often, you know, you can cheat. And, and but now, you know, there was more, more men in motion, more pulling, um, just things that could slow down the linebackers' reads just a little bit. And sometimes that's all you need. I mean, this is a, game of margins generally not not just over the course of like the whole box score when you can search for hidden yards but on any individual play just that little split second that timing uh can, can be uh critical between uh success and and defeat and so I, ju- I just think that it's it's a tougher offense to defend now when you've got that much motion and that many moving parts and there's a greater variety of things that the offense is doing in the running game. And well, let's not forget drones in this that whole equation. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, drones did not play till the very end of that Purdue game. I mean, they had a quarterback playing on one leg in the second half. I think yeah. you don't have to respect the quarterback run, and Purdue certainly didn't in yes. that game. There's some option plays where they're like, no, you you keep it. <laughs> That's fine. You keep it on this one. So I, I think you look at the yards per care, or yards per game rushing since Drones was inserted in the lineup, and I forget what it is, but it's drastically different. It was like 60 before him and 100 and something now. So uh, you have that extra guy to account for who has that ability. I think it allows you to do a lot of other stuff in the offense that defenses have to worry about uh, just a completely different offense and, and outlook with him in the game it's interesting to me like seeing what the offense looks like now against Pitt drones was obviously Bowen's number one target in the transfer portal like the season ended and he immediately flew to Texas to recruit drones yeah he was there the first day yeah yeah <laughs> but it was like camping out in right, his right, house to get right, in there right, right, right away exactly but then they but then he gets here and they continued, basically continued to run the same offense as they ran last year. So, like, when I saw Kyron Drones in practice, between every op- open media session plus the spring game, I counted his touchdowns and interceptions while I was there physically to see it. And it was one touchdown and four interceptions. And the one touchdown was the one in practice this August that Canteen dropped 
and then got caught by, oh, by yeah, Jones. I remember that, one, yeah. that was it should have been zero touchdowns and five interceptions. So this was a guy who was clearly struggling in the Virginia Tech offense that was being run earlier. Um, you've got two different quarterbacks, each with their own strengths and weaknesses. You want to try to make it an equal competition. But if you run one offense, it greatly favors one guy. If you run a different offense, it greatly favors the other guy. Um, so they were running an offense that did not favor drones, of course. Um, I think a lot of some of the stuff they're, they're doing now, they could have been doing anyway, though obviously not all of it. Um, I just I just wish you could go back in time and you run this offense since the very beginning of spring. If you do that, I mean, you, you could possibly have a, one or two more wins now, you think? Purdue, Marshall? I, I don't they're about there for the taking. Sure. Yeah. No doubt. Um, well, two takeaways I had from a personnel standpoint coming out of Saturday, looking at some of the, the condensed game and, and thinking about it a little bit more. I think Basial Tutin might be the biggest weapon on the offense, his ability to make guys miss, his explosive running, an incredibly physical runner. And then I think Quan Felton has emerged as, you know, wide receiver one for drones. He seems mm-hmm. to be his biggest target. For whatever reason, he seems to go to him more than Jalen Lane. Now Lane... It was kind of banged up and now has re-entered himself back into the offense, but just wanted to get your thoughts on those two kind of claims a little bit. I think I think Felton, it took him a little while maybe to adjust to this level because the first two games he caught one pass and had two drops, I think. Had, had the drop that got intercepted against Purdue. and But ever since then, things have been better. I think he's established himself. Uh, he did have the one drop against Rutgers, but other than that, it's – think he's gotten better progressively each each game as he's adjusted to to playing football at this level and it's it is a jump going from norfolk state to to you know playing fbs competition and uh it's an adjustment actually having quarterbacks that can i mean if you go back and watch his his like film at like norfolk state like their quarterback was so bad that he was having to like contort his body in all these weird ways to have a chance to to make the catch so sometimes it's you're not even used to having the ball thrown at you just a regular well, style, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so there's been an adjustment period, but yeah, he looks like he's certainly an ACC caliber player. I, th- I thought he was, but you never really know until they until they get here and start showing it. But yeah, that that was a good evaluation uh, by Virginia Tech. So there's there's talent down there at those lower levels. I mean, I mean, Tootin was an FCS running back, and now clear quite cl- clearly he's an ACC caliber player. And and you know, same thing for uh, for, for Felton. And I, I do think that that one class, when you know Stu Holt talked about this in the spring, he's like Tootin slipped through the cracks because that was the COVID year, was his recruiting year, and and they played a limited schedule in New Jersey that year, and you couldn't get out and scout anyway, and you can't even really accurately judge the film because to a certain extent, because you might be ha- missing half the defense because of COVID and things like that. So I think a lot of people slipped through the cracks in that class. There's some odd fits, too. I mean, Drones was uh, in that recruiting class. He couldn't take an official visit. Mm-hmm. First official visit he took was as a transfer coming to Virginia right, Tech. Right. That was the only one because he shut it down right. right after that. So I think there were some just very odd fits 
with people like, well, this is the best place because I talked to a guy. Like the first time he met Dave Aranda was when he enrolled in school and yeah. showed up at Baylor. It's like, okay, that's not how this is supposed to work. Uh, as far as your two uh, thoughts, yeah, Tootin is fantastic. I think he's their best running back since Khalil Herbert. No question. Here, uh, you know, doing things like that. Uh, Raheem Blackshear did that a little bit. They didn't give him the opportunities to do yeah. it as much <laughs> as they the probably NFL. should have. He, probably yeah, he's, <laughs> he's sticking to the NFL, but uh, Herbert, it, it reminds me a lot of Herbert, just mm-hmm. the way he runs and uh is a good blend of speed and power and, and balance in that sense uh in terms of receivers i i still think lane might have a higher ceiling there maybe be able to do a little bit more at receiver he, he's been banged up for you know two of the starts that drones has had so far i think the more you get into the season the more well-rounded his game is and you'll continue to see him perform out there yeah it's, it's interesting with the wide receivers now one thing you have to look back at, at the hendon hooker era when they switched from the Ryan Willis offense to the Hendon Hooker offense, and all of a sudden, the wide receivers didn't catch as many as many passes. So, like, Hazleton goes from being a 55-catch guy to, like, a 30-catch guy. So when that happened, Hazleton's like, I'm out, right? He did uh, that a couple times in his career. Yeah, did that a couple <laughs> times. Uh, right, right. Uh, but at any rate, like, the, the production of the wide receivers dropped off as the offense changed. So you're not going to see, I don't think, like a slot receiver – catch go out there and have like a seven catch 120 yard gain or something like that in this current offense especially when you're only throwing at night you only threw it 19 times this past week right so there's going to be limited receptions relatively speaking for those guys so production becomes more important you know in the running game now but it is going to affect the numbers uh, of these wide receivers and it's going to seem like uh that they don't have they're not, they're not getting much wide receiver production, but in reality is when you only throw it 19 times and five of those times are to tight ends and running backs, and and then you're not going to get like a ton of, of, of production from the wideouts. I have a trivia question for you guys. Bashal Tudin had 24 rushes and four receptions. There have been two, there's been one other player since 1987 to do that. David Wilson was close. He had a game with 23 rushes and four receptions. Who was the other running back? Hint, this was before 2000. Before 2000. Wow. I'm going to go. Can I get a guess? Sure. Before, Lee Suggs. Or was uh, he no. not before 2000? Oh, he didn't start until 2001. Or nice. No, t- no t- sorry, 2000. He was, he was 2000. <laughs> we'll fix um, that in post. <laughs> uh, in there. If you can't tell, I was not here. Okay, okay. My guess, is, is it Beamer Bowl era or before Pre two thousand, pre two thousand, yeah, it was one. so between ninety three and ninety nine, basically. Yeah. Okay, Marcus Parker. No. Oh man. Nineteen ninety three. Dwayne Thomas. Yeah. No kidding. He did wow. it twice. Really. So, in so, that's three instances. Bashal Tootin on Saturday, and then Dwayne Thomas did it twice. He had one twenty five rush attempt game with four receptions against UVA. And then he did it uh, against Indiana in the Independence Bowl. Okay, that was sort of that Billy Height philosophy yeah. of you're going to split up carries, e- even if you have a great back, you can't run him into the ground. This, you know, Sirens Lawrence, they kind of ran him into the ground here. I think Height always kind of felt yeah. guilty about the fact that he never had a professional career because he had so many carries here, and then he gets his knee injured at the end of his career. That you know, that was his philosophy moving forward was split up the carries, get get the workload spread around a little bit. And generally speaking, with Height, it was. Two carries or 
two series for the starter, one series for the backup. Two series for the starter, one series for the backup. That's the same rotation Tech is doing this year. It's two series for Tootin, then one for Thomas, then two for Tootin, one for Thomas. Um, and I think that's the proper way to handle it. I mean, everybody says, well, you're gonna not going to be able to keep as many running backs on your roster. Well, the ideal situation is to have two a two-running back system. I mean, there's only so many plays in a football game. And I think a running back's one of those positions where you kind of get – kind of got to get lathered up and get into the rhythm of things to be most effective. Kind of same thing as linebacker on defense. And we're going to talk about defense. Oh yeah. That's next after the entry. Don't worry. Okay. Good. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I really think they're doing a good job of handling the running back rotation this year. While we're still on the offense, Andy, the only other, you mentioned the stat with Logan Thomas and all those quarterbacks earlier. The only quarterback besides Kyron drones at Virginia tech since 87 to a three, Passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns in a game was Logan Thomas. He did it twice in 2011 against Miami and Georgia Tech. So all of those other guys who who scored, they didn't throw for as many touchdowns, right. as, or or they didn't have as met like the combination that Kyron Drones did. So pretty interesting company. And we should mention that Michael Vick did it in a half against Rutgers. <laughs> he didn't play in the second half. In 99. Was that in Lane or Piscataway? Uh, uh, I think that was Piscataway. I'm just, I remember that was the day when, like, y- y'all don't even know what I'm talking about on this, but when not not all games were on television. And if they were, it might not be available in your region. I, I want to say that Rutgers game, I maybe picked it up on Rabbit Ears on some random channel, and I watched <laughs> it, like, like, with a lot of static and things like that. But I mostly listened to it on the radio. And, and that's, I know that that's hard for, for y'all to, some of y'all to probably believe these days, but that's, that's the things we, we used to have to do. So when you're complaining about having to tune into the CW or watching Spurtle ads on the ACC network, just remember there was a day where you couldn't even watch these things. That's so. right. Fair enough. Well, the Tech Sideline podcast is also brought to you by Coldwell Banker, Townside Realtors, trusted real estate services for the Roanoke and New River Valleys of Virginia. If you're in the market to purchase or sell a residential property, or if you're looking for land or investment property in Southwest Virginia, boy, do we have you covered. With three offices in the area, we serve Blacksburg, Christiansburg, Radford, Roanoke, Salem, Vinton, Smith Mountain Lake, and all of the surrounding areas. Visit cbtownside.com to learn more. All right. Like I said, Chris has done 300 of these things and uh, he brings us right into our talk about the defense. So let's get into it. The Hokies allow just 38 rushing yards on 1.6 yards per carry. Pitt averaged 229 yards versus Virginia Tech in the last three meetings. And that was not the case on Saturday. We knew the Hokies struggled mightily to stop the run. What changed on Saturday? They were better, but how much better? I don't know. Pitt stinks. Fair. Like, their offense is awful. They're, like, they have a lot of injuries on the offensive line. I don't think they have as much talent at wide receiver. They don't have anybody as big at running back as they had in the past. Um, schematically, quite frankly, they're like Virginia Tech before the pit game from a schematic standpoint. Just very, very – they're not going to fool you on defense like they're not going to go out there and out scheme you I mean they're going to out physical you and out tough you and they don't have the horses to do that this year and uh, you know I think I think when Narducci has had the horses his offenses have been very effective but I've never never gotten the feeling that they're, they're they've been a team that's tried to outthink defenses and, and I think that he's a little bit antiquated from that respect yeah and I, I think a big thing was 
defensive line really showed up. They did. They were in this better. game. Yep. Uh, you know, David got the detail from Mario Kendricks after the game that during the week, J.C. Price just wrote up on the, the, the board the rushing totals that Pitt has had the last two games. And Pride said it afterwards, like this, you know, there's only so much your pride can take where people keep telling you how bad you've been that you show up. And I, I thought the defensive line played angry and aggressive in that game. I think looking at the initial PFF grades, the top seven or seven of the top eight defensive uh, grades went to defensive linemen. I believe that in that game, uh, Powell Island played great. Norrell Pollard uh, played great. Mario Kendricks had that play where he, he got the swim move and was like two inches away from getting a sack under Kovic. And then Powell Island comes in mm-hmm. and knocks it away. So Kendricks doesn't get any credit for that. That's play. A shame. Any statistical yeah. credit, even though he made the play. Uh, and then Powell Ryland comes in. I guess that's payback for Powell Ryland not getting that sack on the, the in the ODU game uh, earlier this year when he knocked the ball loose. But they just played aggressive and angry up front, and they got after the quarterback. And Dracovic seems like he's gotten worse over his career. He's played in Lane Stadium three times. He's been sacked ten times yeah, uh, since he's played here. I didn't even think about uh, last year. Oh, last year they BC were all they over him. him. He had no I'll offensive line this year. Like I don't know what he's done to tick off the offensive line guys, but he has not been blessed with some no. great offensive lines the last two years. But they got after him, and they were in that backfield uh, almost every time he dropped back to pass, there was, there was, uh, you know, they had the big pass, two big pass plays. But other than that, he was just, I think there was a stat line. He was like two for nine at one point for like a hundred yards or something. Very bizarre stat line, but he just did not have a lot of time back. I want to say at one point he had completed three passes for like 200 or yeah, four passes a, for like 200 or something like it was crazy insane. stat line with those big plays. But, uh, you know, most of the time they were on him and at he was half, not comfortable back. At halftime, he was three of 12 for 117 yards. Okay. And a touchdown. Okay. Wow. That's right. actually incredible. And then he added the 61 yarder in the second half. Shortly, right? yeah. Yeah. It wasn't fairly. God, what was there? Uh, it was, was in the third quarter, right? Yeah. yeah. Early third quarter. Yeah. I would say. And oh, then, they, right. then they got the, the fumble on the next one yes, to get yes, within exactly. seven. Because every time Tech threatened that they were going to like blow the game out of the water, you know, it seemed like something crazy would happen. I th- so I think that was Pitt's fifth different starting offensive line in as many games, I believe, something like that. Um, if that happened to Virginia Tech, we would be sitting here saying, oh, my gosh, there, there's no way you can get any cohes- cohes- cohesiveness with an offense when that happens. And that's true. That's been a big, big part of Pitt's problems. It's like you said, poor Djokovic, everywhere he goes, he just gets in a really bad offensive line situation. Now, from a Virginia Tech-specific standpoint, you know, like you said, I, I, th- I do think they were more aggressive up front, and they played pissed off, quite frankly, up front. And I, I, I also think they did some other things. They didn't rotate their linebackers this week. Um, Alan Tisdell got all but one of the snaps at Mike, and at backer, Kelly Lawson got all but four of the snaps. And I, I, I've, it's like I said earlier, it's like, I think linebackers are similar to running backs. They got to get lathered up and into the rhythm of the game and things like that. Like Bud Foster hardly ever rotated linebackers at, at Virginia Tech, and and I, I just unless you're playing one of those offenses that's going to run that's going to have the ball for you know 85 plays or something like that, I don't think there's a big reason to, to rotate linebackers. Um, so I, I think they handle that well, and then they finally moved Delane to safety. I don't know if they did that willingly or because... No, that was a necessity. Yeah. I, I mean, people's draft, he didn't play. Jalen Jones didn't even draft He was the out, game. yeah. So, like, I think what I'm really asking is, would they have done that anyway? Because I would have done that anyway, whether 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 uh, Jalen Jones was injured or not. I, th- I think we had seen enough to realize that Jalen Jones was 
was probably not as good an option at, at Delane as safety. And then you, you you have to try to figure out what it looks like with Canteen at corner and then Delane with safety. But but I think that's a better option either way, whether whether there was injuries or not. And that's one I kind of wish they had gone to a week earlier, just like the offensive scheme. But that's okay. I mean, seven games left, I, I think – you figured out your your best defensive rotation at this point, and you figured out what kind of offensive scheme you can be that you should be running. Can't start the season over. When you say it's a fresh start, there's really not a fresh start in the middle of the season because those those games you already lost, they count. Unfortunately, it's not a preseason. Uh, but I, I think if they continue to do those types of things, we can enjoy the rest of the season, like without looking at the record, so to speak. Like like Tech is. Is two and three. Let's assume they're two and four after this week. Like you wouldn't bet on them making a bowl game at this point. But if you just throw that part out of out of your mind and just focus on what happens from here on out, I think if they continue to do some of those things, then um, they got a chance to you know play be a very competitive football team from here on out. Yeah, and just a point on the run defense. Uh, I think Pitt's longest run was twelve yards. Mr. Kovic leaked out and uh he he did a, a play fake and jade mcdonald like looked at him he's like no there's no, no way no way he has anyone the other way and drew Kovic just kind of waltzed around the side <laughs> but uh you know 12 yards one run that went over 10 yards that's been the problem and especially at second level they didn't have any as many opportunities because i think think the front played so well in shoving those down but it wasn't the 60-yard touchdown run. It wasn't the 56-yard touchdown run that you've seen the last couple of weeks in these games. And those add up. That, that's where you get. That's where Tech's really been hurt with so many uh, yards that they've given up on the ground. Those huge plays. They didn't allow any of those. And that you know that was a major factor in this you, game. You know, no offense in the country can consistently go six yards a play, 13-yard drives the whole game. Like if you remember back earlier in the season, Tech wasn't generating any big plays in, in the run game. You remember the Old Dominion game? Tech's two longest runs in that game were 10 yards and 9 yards, and they were both by Grant Wells. Like, that was how bad the running game was as far as generating big plays. You, you've got to get some 20-plus yard you know, runs out there and to, to get that yardage total up. Well, Virginia Tech held Pitt to 2 of 10 on third down, 0 of 1 on fourth down. Seemed to always come up in the big moments. I also like that. Correct me if I'm wrong that this was new, but they were playing uh, that Joker and the Thief a lot on third third down and then again on the fourth down, and I, I don't know. It added a little I, something for I, me. I, with I, the, did, I, I liked didn't it. pay any attention. I, 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 let me say this. This was another point I wanted to make. Remember all those years where we always talked about the fan experience and everybody's complaining about they should do this, they, they should do that. Is anybody complaining about any of that? Isn't it so much better fan experience when you – score 38 points and play an entertaining brand of football. Yeah, it was yeah, a fun game. It was a f- great fan experience. And uh, so somebody at Tech has told me this before. He said, uh, whenever Tech loses, we get emails all over the place. You should be doing this. Your lines in the stadium stink. You don't have enough beer selection. Your, your music is too loud, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whenever Tech wins, we never get any emails. It's, everybody's mad at everything when, when they lose. But suddenly they ignore all that stuff when when you win so it's like i didn't really pay a lot of attention to the peripherals the other <laughs> night. quite frankly just enjoyed the experience fair i i always tend to pay attention to what do they do any stadium on third down because like third down when the defense is out there like everybody's kind of got their own thing and tech seemed to switch it up this week or this season at least i don't remember it in the games prior but I liked it. I didn't even notice, honestly, when I still. What is the best third down? Uh, um, thing I mean, you've heard. It used to be a turkey gobble. I well, they <laughs> still do the turkey gobble. I always, but that's what they used to do 
at Tech, I feel like in my two years here so far, it was just the turkey gobble and it was missing something like loud. And then like in a big moment, the last couple of years, they do like stand up and shout. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, when I was young, they would do the Imperial Death March a lot on third down. That's Wisconsin pretty cool. used to do uh, Crazy Train, mm. the intro to Crazy Train. The best one that I've heard out there, I think, was East Carolina. They because Vince McMahon went there, yeah. So they would do the Undertaker like dong, yeah. Nice. The That's what they do at the dome. It's just like okay, this is really because it kind of builds and the crowd gets into it. I, I thought that was always a nice touch. On third, they so had on third down, they do that. They should have done the Vince McMahon's own intro song on third down. They no could chance. have. The, the, the Undertaker <laughs> gong is better because just like hits you out of nowhere and the whole stadium kind of gets into the whole thing. Yeah, they uh like they did they do Hell's Bells by ACDC, but it has the same gong. Um, right. at the dome and is, is anyways it was good do you guys know what joker and the thief is you guys have no idea what i'm talking about this no. sounds like uh, a young person's yes. thing I, no. I don't know i've not i'll, I'll uh, play it very briefly it's worth it's worth i'm curious to see in the comments copyright. people's thoughts copyright oh never mind i can't copyright Nick Brown <laughs> shut it down good call you Will can, Stewart uh, you can, been like, you can sing it yourself like you did the stand up and shout yeah <laughs> i think uh i think that's all right it's, it's fair it's, to be fair i never heard of the johnny cash song that they play before inner sandman until they what until, it's a nice no, touch. i never heard of it it's a nice touch yeah. it's a good line it's a great it's touch. a good we're walking a long distance from the locker room so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it's awesome they got, yeah, you got I, th I think it adds a lot i just never heard the song before they started doing it it's i like a, even so. before the johnny cash they always play the outsiders by eric church and that that is a part of the lead up as well yeah. that one's not talked about enough enough um it's it's part of the so you have the you have your beverages come out with the Eric Church. Then you have the appetizer is Johnny Cash, and it's the appetizer to the greatest entrance in college football. We should football, have a whole separate Sandman. podcast one day to like top ten songs you could play at a Virginia Tech football game besides Interstand. You saw some of the the discourse last week. Somebody always throws us out there when the team is struggling. It's like this team doesn't. They shouldn't play Understand. They don't deserve game. it. They, they don't deserve it. it. It's like first of all, nobody like, would sit in the seats. Why? Why would you punish the fans? Like it's right. not the it's fans' not their fault. fault. They just want to go throw to the fans a bone. Second man. of all, like what, what are you talking about? Don't, like it's ridiculous. It comes up at least once a year when the team is struggling. It's like this team doesn't deserve Understand, man. Stop playing it. It's like all right, did, 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 go Settle take a now. take a walk. Settle down. <laughs> Yeah, it was when I was in high school, they had that where they had a big blow up thing. And the coach was like, if, and if we don't play good, we're not running out of the blow up tunnel. And it was like one of those things. Um, it <laughs> was that was a huge motivator, I'm sure. I, yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is they like never lost. They went to like the state. They would go undefeated and then lose in the state semifinal. Because they year. always wanted to run out of that blow up thing. I guess. Was, I guess. What it was. And there were no well, more home games once you got well, to the When state. I was in high school, we were the Chatham Cavaliers. Same logo as UVA, except a C instead of a V. We even had a cavalier on a horse. It was a girl, by the way. Lead us out on the field. So if, if I remember correctly, if our if our coach had ever been like, if you don't play well, you're not going to get to run out behind this cavalier on a horse. We would have been like, we think it's stupid anyway. So if I remember correctly, similar results to the Cavaliers. Yes, uh, fairly similar. currently. Yeah, well, did, well, yeah, we we won a couple though. Okay, they haven't. I Chris, remember. position did you play? Uh, corner and wide receiver generally. Nice. I think I came a little bit after that when I worked in Danville, but some of those Gretna Chatham games when Vic Hall was at Gretna, it was uh, every it was game. An ugly, every, it was an ugly uh, couple of years for Chatham. Every game uh, Vic Hall played in high school, it was not good for the other team. But it was especially bad for well, Chatham. I, now, here's what I remember is like Robert Prunny was their coach when I played. Robert Prunny, who yeah. went on you know be a college coach and everything like that. We, we had a couple of players transfer from Chatham to Gretna. 
And and one of them, like our head coach, even made fun of. He's like, yeah, loved him. He was a great kid, not a very good football player. Well, that kid transfers under Robert Prani for two years, and then goes on to play for Bridgewater and played in the Division Three national title game one year. This amazing. This guy was a much better football player when he got better coaching and things like that. But you know, don't want to talk about that again. <laughs> that was Gio's. Uh, we, we've gotten yeah, off on a tangent yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. over there. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'll take responsibility for uh, getting us off track here with the third down talk. So uh, you guys actually already mentioned this. We already talked about the D-line, the strip sack, the four sacks. So let's go to Phil Jerkovic went 11-22, 235 yards, two touchdowns. How would you grade the secondary's performance for VT? Did give up a couple of explosive plays. I think this outside of, you know, the first First one was a screen, or second one was a screen pass. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at that one. the The first one, the the, the wide receiver got past Canteen. Delane was trailing. I, I don't know if Delane was just late getting there, or if he was doing the right thing, and the guy just burned Canteen. Um, but generally speaking, I thought they did well. But uh, again, like the secondary hasn't been truly tested this year because everybody's passing attack that they faced, except for Purdue's, has been really, really bad. So they haven't faced a balanced offense yet this year. We'll talk about Florida State more, obviously, on Thursday, but Florida State's going to be a totally different animal than any offense Virginia Tech has faced this year because there's balance there. Yeah, that uh, that second one on the screen pass they had looked like Paul Ryland tried to tackle him and almost like shoved him toward the towards end. the goal. Here like, you uh, go. Let me give you a push. There, somebody's buddy. like, oh, an assist for Paul Ryland. I'm like, yeah, it kind of looked like a Hadouken from Street Fighter 2 where he just like pushed him forward like that and he just accelerated straight to the end zone. So that was just a get him on the ground type situation. I, I can't remember exactly what happened on that first one. All I know is I was typing about Virginia Tech score and I look up and Pitt, Pitt guy is running down the field. So I didn't even really see the play. They just beat him over the top. But, you know, two big plays like that, one that you kind of, put on the, the coverage because uh, the other one was a screenplay like that. And, yeah, I think they played okay, but, again, didn't get tested very much. Pitt, Pitt's just a disastrous offense this season. I know you guys had, had mentioned it, so we can keep it brief here, but the linebackers this week, Brent Price said that he thought the run fits were a little bit better. Just your, your grade on the linebacker play. I thought they were very good uh, from what I could see. And, you know, obviously there wasn't as much of a rotation. Uh, you're grading on a curve, though. Like Pitt's running game and offense in general has been wretched. So, yes, they got better, but Pitt's nowhere as good at running the football as Marshall or Rutgers or even Purdue. So um, I know I know it sounds odd to say because of what Pitt has done against Virginia Tech in the past, but this year's Pitt team is, is nowhere close to that on the offensive side of the ball. So I thought they got better. I thought they did well the other night also against – Obviously, to me, the worst rushing game they've played all year. So, Old Dominion, who isn't very talented, you know, they went up to Marshall this week and had over 300 rushing yards. <laughs> it was like 350 Yeah, or yeah it like was that. insane. Like, they, they passed for under 100, but, uh, you know, they, they played to their strengths and ran the ball over the place. So, ODU can run the ball. That, that, uh, the, the Purdue running back is good and physical, I think. Rutgers can run the ball. Marshall can run the ball. They're all miles ahead of Pitt in the, in the running game. So they were bad. Tech was better, but how much better? I don't know because it was such bad competition. You know, you know what you like to say when don't take PFF with a grain of salt, but when it matches the eye test. Yeah. Who who do you think was the uh, the highest grader against run, the run defense? Run defense. Either. Some random defensive tackle or Tisdale? It was Tisdale. Tisdale. Okay. Second best run defense grade of Tisdale's career. Okay. 
Uh, Which he, is funny because like last week was like the worst grade of his career. He had an eighty-one point two. Uh, fourth on the list was Kelly Lawson mm-hmm. at seventy-four point seven. Which is probably, I would guess, top two or three best of his career, maybe the best. Yeah, Keyshawn Burgos and Narelle Pollard were okay. were two and three. Okay. All right, interesting stuff. Well, I want to ask you guys this. You know, it's kind of our journalistic responsibility. Yes, we talked about so much good. Hokies did play fantastic on Saturday, but even Coach Price said things that got to be better. Uh, One thing that stood out to me big time, 10 penalties for 91 yards. That can become costly uh, when you don't have a margin for error. And, you know, Tech did have a margin for error in this game. Correct, they did. Like like when you're – you can get an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and give them a free first down, and you still know that there's pretty much no chance they're going to score off of it. Can't do that next week against Florida State because that group will take advantage of it. So, yes, that's, uh, that's something that will have to be cleaned up. Um, One of them was Kyron Drones spiking spike. the ball. Right. Well, here, so he's I, running. Well, that yesterday. was uh, probably didn't say it to us, but I think he said on the AC Zach yeah. where he's like, oh, congratulations. I'll see you at uh, running punishments or whatever. Yeah, 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 like tech, tech did more. All right. So, after the first touchdown pass of the game, when he was running down the field toward the end zone, Drone said something to the pit cornerback. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. He sort of got I, I didn't realize it until I watched the condensed version. So uh, I don't know if like I don't know if they know each other or something, or if he was just talking trash to him. But then obviously, you know, Delane talking trash and got the flag later in the game. There was definitely more of that from Virginia Tech this week. Yeah. I know some people don't like that, but that is like the little playing with an edge to a certain extent. And, and you love that edge that they're bringing. You know. There's part of you that's like, mm, you don't want them to take that away, but at the same time, if, you know, in a bigger game, you can't don't afford get 15 for yards. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I would point out, this third straight game, Drones has lost a fumble that has led to mm. points. That's uh, right. This one led directly to points. Yeah. They just picked it up at the, so, the four-yard line. So that's, About the that's, easiest touchdown of that oh guy's my gosh. career. That was the, that was, so that's the next step for him, have a turnover-free game. So, okay, so, so people are going to ask us later this week, what does success look like against Florida State? I actually and got that question. Did, did you? Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I was waiting to see if you were going to talk about it. Yeah, I that. guess we. I haven't researched them heavily yet, so maybe my answer will change on Thursday. But uh, keep doing the same type of stuff you're doing on, on offense. If it, if it gets shut down this week because of Florida State's superior you know, athletes, that's okay. I just If Tech loses, I want to feel like it wasn't because they were outcoached. And then secondly, uh, for Kyron Drones, let's have the first turnover-free game of your career. I think that would be an important that's, step forward of, of his development. That's a big ask against a very good team. It is. It is. So it might not be a fair ask this week, but maybe maybe do it one time in the next couple weeks. Yeah. I think regard, you, you live with those mistakes with Drones. And right. you, you keep rolling with him. Yeah. And just no, have yeah. to play it. But, you know, three turnovers uh, that have led directly to points has been two touchdowns and a field goal. So 17 points off of three turnovers, that's, that's a pretty big deal, especially when you give it to – I mean, the pit one was the easiest touchdown that guy will ever score in his <laughs> right. career but you know you fumble at the 10 yard line or 20 whatever it was against Rutgers and they're in the end zone uh you know before the national anthem is done I mean, th- those are the kind of <laughs> right. those are the kind of mistakes that you just you got to eliminate just just hold on to the ball yeah and you know I will say this like so it was 28-7 tech and then just in a matter of seconds it tw- it's 28-21 nervous yes I was kind of like uh, because, because like this team hasn't you know, they've responded in some games to a certain extent, but also, you know, you get down to the end against Marshall and you get down to the end against uh, or Rutgers specifically, and it's like they faced pressure situations and just kind of fell apart in those late-game situations. So I'm sitting here thinking, man, they've been playing with so much confidence tonight. Now Pitt got the momentum back. How are they going to respond? 
and they responded with a long Jalen Jones or Jalen uh, Lane touchdown. So it was a great response. So I don't feel like I, I should have mentioned that in my article yesterday. It's like the response from Pitt regaining the momentum was very, very good. It, it there was a collective here we go again feeling yeah. in the stadium. And anybody who denies that, there, there was some nervous <laughs> moments there. And again, a great response. You know, this isn't a team that's been used to playing with a lead like that very often. So you sort of have to learn how to do that and, and keep the intensity up throughout that whole thing. David, you, you talked about penalties. So I'll break down the penalties for you. Tech had 10. Three were holding penalties. Two were unsportsmanlike conducts. Then Tech had a grounding penalty, false start, a delay of game, an offsides, and a tripping. A, a lot of those can be cleaned up. And yeah, yeah, and they're spread out over like so many yes. different types that you can't really look at one and say, "Oh, that's a huge, yeah. huge problem." Now, what I will what I will say, and what I did notice is that there were some, there were two times, um, one when Tech took a delay of game, and another when Tech had to burn a timeout on special teams. Uh, Tucker Holloway, Pitt uh, came out of a timeout, and it looked like originally Pitt was gonna punt, and then Pitt decides that oh, we're gonna go for it, and and then I think Tech or Pitt or or Pitt then I think Pitt ended up taking the timeout, but P- Tucker Holloway was back deep waiting to return it, and Tech had its defense on the field, and then later when Tech took the delay of game, Tech was punting and only had ten guys on the field because Dante Love it, like. You know, it, he didn't have enough time to sub back on. So, like, a couple little special teams things here or there um, that made Tech turn burn a timeout and take a delay of game penalty. But, yeah, I think you look at a lot of this, it's like, okay, don't spike the ball after a touchdown. I I did not see the tripping penalty. I know people were talking about that, the, the phantom, trip, phantom tripping penalty. Um, but you can fix a delay of game. You can fix an offsides penalty. The The grounding penalty, it's like... Those are things I think you you live with. I think it's really the the three holding penalties that's like probably so. But but again, you know, Pitt's really aggressive defensively, yeah. and so they're, they're a different challenge than most teams from that standpoint. I think you know Brent Pry would probably be the first guy to say that it's a, he'd much rather teach after a seventeen point win than than after all those losses that they were racking up. What's completely in your control? The two plays completely in your control are the two unsportsmanlike. So if you can clean those up. Eight yeah. penalties looks a lot different than 10, I feel like, especially when those yeah. are each for 15 yards apiece, so the yardage is tallied uh, way yeah, up. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what the, like the, the average or the median of, of penalties is across college football, but I, I do think when you hit the double-digit mark, that's when, that's when people uh, have a tendency to, to really look at it and, and, and get a little more into it from a critical standpoint. It's even worse when it's double digits of the same penalty like yeah. NC State last oh year. <laughs> Good point. All right, a couple of big picture questions for you guys before we wrap things up for today. Um, first and foremost, you know, what does this win mean for this team and how does it change the trajectory for uh, the rest of this season? How it changes it depends on their response, quite frankly, but it puts them in a better position, not, you know, just from a statistical standpoint. Want to know in the ACC, two wins overall. If they were one and four right now, going into Tallahassee, and then assume they come out of that one one and five, then any chance of going to a bowl are pretty much gone. I think the morale for the fan base would be extremely low. And, you know, you would worry about the players. That, that, that's what I talked about last week. Is I'm like, really want to win this game because 
you know, if you keep losing, like eventually that morale is going to drop. I mean, that's just human nature. So uh, I think it was, I think this win, the timing couldn't have been better for it. And the fact that it was home and you get to see it in person, I, I think makes it even better. So I think, I think it was great. And I think, I think if they continue to do the things offensively that they did against Pitt, and, and I recognize that each game is a unique challenge because of how the defense aligns and personnel and things like that. But if you came out, come out with that same general scheme each and every week, I think it will put them in a better position to win. Uh, after the Florida State game, you've got Wake Forest, extremely well-coached football team, but they don't have the same quarterback they had last year, and that makes it a big difference. There, there's, they're going to win a certain number of games because Clawson's a really good coach, but they're not going to go out there and out-talent Tech. I think if Tech plays like they did offensively the other night with that scheme, they have a great chance to win that game. NC State's offense is a mess. Like, like they're, they have no skill position talent. Their starting running back quit the team after four games. So which, and he's like going to redshirt and transfer, which shows me that like that offense has deep, deep issues. That's a very winnable game. UVA is obviously quite winnable. Um, Boston College is, is winnable. Um, we weren't saying some of these were winnable before this past Saturday. Uh, we put them in the 50-50 we, yeah, yeah, coin flip range. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I wish maybe like Boston College or UVA was at home, particularly Boston College. Uh, Tech can yeah. win in Charlottesville. They've done that plenty of times. Haven't won too often in Chestnut Hill recently. But uh, you're feeling better about some of those games. And I disagree. I think you want those games on the road because those are two very winnable road games. That's that's a good point. Because if you get them at home, then all of a sudden you're playing at NC State or you're playing yeah, at Syracuse. Mm, rather, yeah. Yeah. Right. Play at Syracuse. It, it, would be, it would be kind of a waste to play Florida State at home. Right. So, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I understand your point on that. The BC trip still, it's BC. Uh, you know, Syracuse isn't unbeatable. I mean, uh, they lost to Clemson this past week, but it, but it's Clemson. Um, but my whole thing is like, you can score if you can score thirty eight points. And I'm not suggesting Tech would, will or should do this every week, but they couldn't keep scoring sixteen, seventeen points a game and have a chance to win. Um, they just got to keep up this offensive scheme, this type of football, this brand of football. If they go back to the Marshall game plan and the Marshall scheme, they're not going to win very many more games. But if they keep up with this. You know, I mean, I think they have a they have a puncher's chance the rest of the way, and they'll at least play competitive football. And at the end of the season, we'll be able to look at it and say, okay, they got better as the year went on. And now, I I think every single offensive player for Virginia Tech who played in the game the other night is eligible to come back next year. I think that's right. I have I've gone through that in my head. I'd have to go check the the box score and everything and the participation chart officially. But I think that's true. Is anybody I'm missing, Dave? It would make sense with the COVID year. Yeah, yeah. Every What? Every single Every player. offensive player that played in the game for Virginia Tech the other night is eligible to come back next uh, year. Well, let's look at the participation. Um, well, the participation is also going to include special teams. So if you have a backup. Well, line, I think that's drones, right. There's Felton, only, there's drones, only Felton, certain Gosnell, Tootin, Chaplin, Moore, Clements, Schick, Meadows. Gosnell and St. Germain were the starters. Mm-hmm. All of... All of those guys are yeah. able to come back. Uh, now, now, Tech lists some of these guys as like seniors and redshirt seniors, but Felton's got a COVID year. Gosnell's got a COVID year. Uh, you, you know, uh, so some of these guys are eligible. I think they even, do they even, I don't know what they list, Clements. But anyway, all, some of those guys have COVID years, even though they're listed as seniors, are eligible to come back. If you can get to the end of the season, you continue to run this style of offense. And even if you don't make a bowl, we can point and say, look at the difference in this team between – 
the Marshall game, and then what happened after the scheme change, like 2019, when 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 they when they were so bad in September, and the the scheme change just flipped it everything for the rest of the season. And I think if we get to the end of the season, regardless of record, if we felt like they've improved and they improved over the last eight games of the season, uh, I think we'll feel pretty good about it especially with all these guys eligible to return next season. The only two guys, it's Steven Gosnell and Jalen Lane, but they have a COVID year. Right. Those are the only two guys that, that like, you know, could, put, I mean, that would they, be they have to, they have they to make a decision. Back. Everybody else can come back. Right. Especially Jalen. I mean, Gosnell's great as well, but if Jalen Lane came back, because mm-hmm. then Quan Felon would be there. And what what is the deal? Technically speaking, I don't know if it would happen, but Ollie Jennings could do an injury redshirt, right? Yes, he could. He could. What do you think the odds of that are? That's a him decision. That's obviously. a him decision, and it would be, a, I guess, a seventh year of football for him. Do you think and he could be an NFL guy now? I don't know. I haven't seen him enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought he was he was very good at ODU last year. I know that. Um, the thing is, there's two ways to look at this. This will be the second year in a row he had a career or career season-ending injury to his leg, right? So that's going to scare off some NFL scouts. So one way to look at it is if you can come back and stay healthy and prove that you're healthy, then you put yourself in a, be- in a better situation. But the other side is, is like, man, I've broken my leg two years in a row. Do I really want to do this mess again? I don't know. I don't know what's going through his head. I expect is he would come back. He would come back and play it other year. That would be what I think. Um, and, I, and if he's 100% and back to the old Ollie Jennings, that just, it's just another added element. Brent Pry did say um, when he was asked in the post-game press conference that they haven't written it off that he could come back. Like, Ali's goal is to come back this year, and they're working hard on it. I'm sure it is, but at the same time, let's say he's eligible to play in, like, the last— let's say he does get back and play in the last— He'd still get four? Yeah, I guess you get four. But would that affect any kind of a medical redshirt? Like, if you applied for it and then they were like, oh, but look, you were healthy enough to come back and play in the last— well, games. at that point, uh, you know. wait. He's no. on crutches and in a walking boot. Right uh, yeah, I, I it's think October, start of October, and he's yeah. on crutches. He's not, yeah. it's not Even a if great he sign. does play, it wouldn't be. I don't think he would be anywhere near 100. percent So there's no point. Yeah, just 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 shut it down and, and bring him back next year healthy. Brent Pry's words were outside chance is right. exactly uh, what he said. Anything else from anybody, David? You got anything else in the fourth chair before we wrap up for the day? I want to I want to talk about the offensive line. Um, uh, we got a question. Is the O-line improving, or is the drones effect bolstering the run game to this level? And my instant thought would be that I think Tyler Bowen's scheme a little bit, you know, rolling drones out, has put the offensive line in better positions. Yeah, I, I think it's both those things he mentioned, plus what you just mentioned. Uh, I do think they have improved. I think the actual man-on-man play has improved to a certain extent. Um, all that motion and stuff, like I've said, the, and the different types of play selections, just makes linebackers and defensive linemen react a split second later. It slows down their key reads, and just it provides better angles of attack for the offensive line when when they're during the actual play when that happens. And uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think the play calling is is doing a better job with the offensive line. I, I don't think the offensive line last year was as bad as people thought it was, but I just think when you sit there and run it between the tackles almost every play, then it's easy to defend, and it's it's make give you give your offensive line no shot. And I just think Tech did so much more the other night to put their offensive line in a position to succeed. They whiffed a bunch of blocks still, 
but you, uh, 12 tackles for loss. Um, it seemed like Tech either made a really, really good play or they were just blown up for like a four-yard loss is, is what it seemed like sometimes. But I, I, I think uh, I think they were put in a better position to succeed. That's the type of offense you need to run when you have an inexperienced quarterback, but also a young offensive line as well because it makes their job easier. And Like I said, I just felt like the Tech offensive coaching staff, Tyler Bowen, for the first time, put his players in a position to succeed the other night and outcoach the opposition. So props. Awesome. Uh, the Okay, I just looked it up. So Virginia Tech had 199 net yards rushing and 228 passing yards. Uh, you want to take a guess? I know Andy, Andy already knows what it is. Uh, you want to take a guess the last time Virginia Tech had that great of an offensive game? Like, rush for 200 and passed for 200-plus. Duke, 2021. There you go. So, Fuente's last game. Yeah, so the the best, you'd say that, that, I mean, by far, I don't think anybody's questioning it, the best offensive game in the prior. I don't think there's anything else even in the discussion, to be honest with you. Andy, your final thoughts before we... uh, Uh, Just on, on, you know, you asked big picture for the rest of the season. I got this question last week. In the mailbag, you know, uh, I in my season predictions, I had them being two and four to start. I didn't have them with getting to two and four with this, the way that they've done it. I had them beating Purdue. I had them uh, losing to Rutgers and Marshall and then uh, losing to Pitt as well. Really? Um, okay. So they're like, if they beat Pitt and lose to Florida State, which is possible, you know, they're two and four. Do you see you I was pretty negative on them making a bowl game last week does that change my thought on this and I said you know my answer was I didn't really think it changed much now in my mind uh picturing them beating Pitt was beating them 15 to 12 or something ugly like that where they went out there and it's just like okay both these teams aren't that great it's an ugly ugly game and they somehow managed to win it they went out there and actually looked good and they had a, a, a really good offensive showing. Defense showed up, great life. Tyron Drones turned into an incredible quarterback. It almost feel like overnight, <laughs> and uh, you know, sort of that dynamic play. And I feel like that sort of changes the outlook. So, uh, you know, this is a tough matchup coming up with Florida State. I don't think they're going to win that. They're they're what twenty five and a half point dogs yeah. in this game. That that's a it's tough a matchup. High, this is sort yeah. of like this stopper in the middle of the the schedule where I think everybody chalked it up as an L before the year, and I, I still am. So the very good chance they'll be two and four after this game. But then you look at the second half of the season and Chris went through it before. I mean, you know, five of the six teams left in the second half of the season are middle to lower half of the ACC. You don't really have a lot of games out there where you go. They just can't win that one. Even, you know, Louisville, I Louisville think it'd be a tough good. one on the road. They look pretty good right now. Uh, went on the road and won at NC state last week, but the other ones, uh, there's just something off with those programs. They're not quite clicking. Syracuse is probably the other one on the upper end of that, but you get them here on a Thursday night. If, if you get an atmosphere like that in a Thursday night game, I don't know what the effect is in that game, what, what the T-shirt color will be in the crowd for that. <laughs> but, you know, you, you get a pretty good crowd, and that's a tough place to, to play and win. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more bullish on their bowl chances at this point. I still don't think it's likely because you have to, you know, reproduce that performance week after week after week. And that's tough to do, especially when you have a small margin for error and, and can't really lose many of those games. But I think I'm a little bit more on the higher side of them being able to pull that off now, uh, obviously after last week. Surprisingly, it is not listed as an effect game. I don't no, think it's just they're a doing... Thursday night. Yeah. It looks like they got the white effect for Pitt. They did the orange effect for Purdue. 
And then they're doing the maroon effect for Wake, and I guess they're not doing like a stripe out or anything. This It'll year. be the drunk effect because people just get really lubed it's up. It's a Thursday. It's up that game. It is a Thursday. Uh, it's all the more reason to take off from work and class and just start pre-gaming early for that one. I uh, encouraging I, all the students to skip class. I had a professor here, here. say like he was like, <laughs> why not? <laughs> he was upset. He was like, thanks to Syracuse, and I was like. I feel attacked as I was wearing an SU hoodie in the front row, sitting next to Kyle Marshak, who's also from there. And the professors were like, thanks to Syracuse, he's like, we will not have class on the 26th. The university has announced that classes will no longer take place after 2 o'clock. And we were like, high five to there that. There you go. Then you go straight, straight down to the bars and then to the game from there. It's perfect. Center Street. There you go. All right, well. Gentlemen, it's always fun to get on here and talk about a win. Uh, felt much needed, and uh, this was a fun one, so thanks for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Enjoy. Absolutely. All right, we'll see you on Thursday when we preview Florida State. Big one coming up this weekend. Uh, stay tuned. These guys are going to have articles all week long, so check out, uh, as always, at techsideline.com. On the video side, we're going to do our Triumph Spotlight this week with Malachi Thomas. Be sure to check that out on Wednesday. But for David Cunningham, Nick Brown, Andy Bitter, Chris Coleman, I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long from Blacksburg. We'll see you on Thursday.